You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come, centered on Jesus Christ. Good morning. Um, my name is James Fields. I serve as the lead pastor here at Soldier Church Carlisle. So good to have you with us this morning uh, for our service. Um, before we jump into the text, um, I do want to take a, um, pause and take a moment um, to recognize um, the hardship and the realities that we're living in in regards to uh, racial injustice that is happening, not just here in Louisville, but all across our country. Um, I want you to know that as your pastor um, and as pastors, uh, Pastor Nick and I are praying for you. Um, we're thinking about you um, and we care for you deeply. Um, we as a church um, have always uh, stood on the three values of maturity, multi-ethnicity and missionality. Um, and that will not change during this season. Uh, we are thankful to God um, that we have a God who loves um, us and has embedded us and given us um, as his image bearers, intrinsic value before him as our creator. And we fight for that right um, and we fight for that reality of being made in the Mago day, um, not just for black and brown brothers and sisters, um, but for all men and women, but especially our black and brown sisters during this time and during this season. So would you turn your attention with me um, to the book of Philippians as we read and continue in our series in Philippians? as I believe that God has a word for us as a church today uh, within the text that we have. So read with me. We'll continue uh, looking at Philippians. We'll look at Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 26. And it reads as follows. It says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that, it was, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole empirical guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim, uh, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me... To live is Christ and die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting um, in Christ Jesus may abound. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and praise you uh, for you are a good God. Um, we love you and uh, we ask that you will be with us even now during this time of preaching. Father, as always, take my little and make much of it. Glorify yourself as only you can. I do praise you and thank you 
that you are with us now, even in this um, tragic situation and, and um, tumultuous time that we find ourselves in. I have to ask that you would help us to lament well, to mourn with those who mourn well, help us to listen well as a church, um, to not try to solve people's problems or give them answers or remedies, but just to be with people in the midst of their pain and sorrow. And then fa- finally, Father, I ask that you help us to learn, um, to learn from our brothers and sisters, to get to know them as individuals um, and to know them as in- image bearers that you have created them to be. We do love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, during tragic times like these, Um, one of the most pressing things that we see is we see what really matters or what matters the most. Um, I am reminded of this time and time again. Um, Even throughout history, we see this. I was reminded this week, I I love looking at National Geographic, and I was reminded this week as I was uh, recalling a story that actually I read some time ago while I was in middle school. It's a story of a guy named um, Bill Jarek who in 1993, he was fishing in uh, St. Mary's Glacier, Colorado, and he got his leg pinned under a boulder. And snow was in the forecast, and he was without a jacket, a packet, a pack, or even any any means of communication. And in a desperate attempt to survive, he used his flannel shirt as a tourniquet and used his fishing knife to do the unthinkable and to separate his leg from his knee joint. He used uh, hemostats from his fishing kit to clamp the bleeding arteries, and he then crab walked to his truck and drove himself to the hospital. In 2003, Aaron Ralston had a similar experience while hiking in Utah. A boulder fell on him and pinned his right arm. And after various attempts to try to get free on the sixth day of being stuck there, he boldly amputated his right forearm with a dull multi-use tool. Exhausted and dehydrated, he rappelled down a 60-foot cliff and hiked eight miles before finding a Dutch family who finally guided him to a rescue helicopter, and he eventually made it to the hospital and survived. And even in the midst of protests that we see today, I'm reminded in 1965 of a protest led by a man named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., See, he was accompanied by hundreds, if not thousands, of black and white protesters in Selma, Alabama. And they were getting ready to embark on a 54-mile journey, a three-day journey from Selma, Alabama to the capital, Montgomery, Alabama, in order to raise awareness of the difficulties of black voters and the need for national voting rights. You see, this is all three of those lessons teach us one thing, and it's a reminder of, all, of, of, of one important lesson. And that, this is the lesson, that humans will do remarkable things in order to survive, but humans will also do remarkable things in order to live. We're reminded today, even as we look at the, um, this passage of Paul, uh, Paul, who in the first 11 verses gave us a great intro of who he was um, and his heart for the people. But then in these next verses, 12 um, through 26 specifically that we're going to look at today, Paul then changes the narrative. And instead of giving greetings and a prayer, Paul now comes to them and he tells them, uh, gives them an update about his life and his ministry. And he quotes three things that I want to share with you today that I think is very helpful. 
The first thing we see in verses 12 through 14 is this, is that suffering people matter to Jesus. In verses 15 through 20, we see that your suffering matters to Jesus. And then finally, in verses 21 through 26, we see that Jesus' suffering should matter to us. Let's look at this first, this first aspect of suffering, that suffering people matter to Jesus. Look with me in verses 12 through, 12 through 14. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. I love this word advance here because this word advance is literally in the Greek. It's a military word for an army that is going forward despite obstacles all around them. It is, it is akin to what we're seeing um, with the countless protests that we are seeing um, in Louisville and across our nation. We're seeing armies of human beings going forward despite opposition for an intended purpose. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. I love this because it reminds us that in order for the gospel to go forward, it must go forward by the hands and the feet of God's church and of God's people. In the book of Acts, we see this great phenomenon of Jesus after um, the day of Pentecost. um, You see Jesus, excuse me, before the day of Pentecost, you see Jesus ascending into heaven. And you see two simultaneous realities happening at that point. You see the body of Christ rising, but you also see the body of Christ remaining. You see the physical body of Jesus, the body that was crucified, the body that was placed into a borrowed tomb, the body that was, uh, was, was resurrected by the Holy Spirit himself, by the very power of God himself. You see that very, po- that very body being resurrected into heaven. But in the same picture, you see a similar reality of God's people remaining. Why are they remaining? They're remaining in order to advance the cause, the purpose, and the mission of Jesus within the world. You see, like it or not, we as the church are the means in which God will enact change within our world. And and here, Paul is reminding his people that although I am in prison and although I am in chains, the gospel is still going forth. And here's the question we have to ask. How, Paul, how is the gospel still going forth? And we see that in verse 13 to 14. It says, so that what has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else, that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. You see, this is a good reminder for us that our suffering advances God's purpose. You see, Paul realized that his current circumstances weren't as important as what he did with them. You see, this is a good reminder for us that how you suffer reflects what you truly believe. And Paul being in prison unjustly, Paul being in prison for simply just preaching the gospel, he is looking and seeing the purposes of God, even despite him being chained and him being imprisoned and his presence being limited to not even being able to appear before the church at Philippi, but simply write to them. He says, my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Paul has been given a great audience. He he mentions this empirical guard. The empirical guard is um, the the secret service or, if you will, um, the most 
closely associated uh, guards that were to Caesar. It was the most and the highest ranking officials of the guards um, that, that you can have access to. And in Paul's mind, he's saying, listen, I'm in prison and I am within, within restrictions. However, the gospel is still going forth. I'm preaching to these men each and every day about the gospel. I'm sharing the faith and reality of who God is. As long as God has put breath in my lung, I will continue to preach and proclaim him. He not only says that the, his imprisonment is because he's in Christ. He says in verse 14, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord with my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. So you see that not only is Paul um, an embodiment of the gospel, he is also one who encourages the gospel. Paul's boldness has become contagious to the point that other men and women has seen Paul's boldness and, that, and his, his recklessness, if you will, to be in prison for the gospel, that now they are also willing to speak up for the cause of Christ and the purpose of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that during this epidemic and during this pandemic and during the riots and everything else that are going on, people are watching you. They're watching your example. And if it's not even just people on the outside, it, your family is watching you. Your children are watching you. As they watch us, I pray that they will see us being sold out for Jesus, loving him, pursuing him, allowing his name to be on our lips and allow his mission to be on our mind and to be our main objective, even while we may be in quarantine and even while we continue to fight against racial injustice in America and across the world today. In verses 15 through 20, we see not only that, um, we, now, we see that not only does suffering people matter to Jesus, we also see that your suffering matters to Jesus. Look with me in verses 15 to 20. To be sure, some preach Christ out of rivalry and envy, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me to stumble in my imprisonment. Verse 18, what does it matter? Only that, only that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I will rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Christ Jesus. My eager expectation of hope is that I will not be put ashamed, be put to shame about anything, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, your suffering matters to Jesus and your suffering matters to him so much so that he calls us as his people to not just be an encouragement by the way you live. He also calls us to um, have a selfless attitude in, in the ways in which we live. Before I go on to talk about verse 18 really quick, I want to just say one word to our church is that um, during this time in this epidemic, you guys have encouraged me. One thing that I've asked and I've been praying for on a personal level is that God, I said, God, would you rise up in people's hearts a desire to want to learn more about what it means to stand up for um, black and brown people um, in America, um, to accentuate and to validate and um, to support the Imago Dei and others. 
And God has answered that prayer. If I have countless people call and, and email um, asking these questions, um, and this is honestly a great encouragement for me because I see that this is not just something that's happening out there in the world, but it's something that God is infusing even in our very hearts as a church. So thank you, church, for being that source of encouragement for me, especially in a hard week. Verse 18 reads as follows. It says this. It says, what does it matter? He says, Christ is proclaimed and this I will rejoice. I love this because it shows us that Paul had an amazing selfless attitude. Paul wouldn't condone nor does God, nor does God excuse their motives, but we should be glad that God uses their message regardless of their motives. You see, there were certain men who were um, using the opportunity for Paul be, to be put in prison to speak against Paul as being outside of the will of God that Paul um, was not looking to God. He wasn't trusting in God. Therefore, he was in prison. But what they didn't realize is that the very, Paul, the very thing that they were accusing Paul of was not done by Paul being ostracized, ostracized by God. It was actually done because Paul was in the very will of God. And Paul looks at these men and he says, listen, as long as price is proclaimed, in this I will rejoice. Now we have to put a pause here because this doesn't sound like the Paul we know. Because you remember in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, you remember what Paul said to that church at Galatia in regards to the false gospel or having a different gospel? He says these words in Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be put on him. As we have said before, and I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be put on him. Now, what's happening here? Is Paul getting soft? Why is Paul so hard on this people at Galatia in Galatians 1, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 10? And he seems to be kind of keeping it easy for the people in Philippi, the church at Philippi. You see, in Philippi, Paul's enemies opposed him personally. You see, they spoke against him personally, and they badmouthed him personally while also preaching the faithful and timeless word of God. You see, Paul was experiencing two types of evangelists, those who were encouraging him and those who were envious of him. And Paul, with all the wisdom and with all the fruits of the, and the power of the spirit of God living within him, he was able to rightly discern between those who had a problem with him and those who had a problem with God. In Galatians 1, those people had a problem with God because they were not preaching the true gospel. They were preaching a different gospel. They weren't preaching a gospel at all. And Paul was able to look at the church of Galatia and those men and say, listen, I don't have a problem with you personally, but I do have a problem with the gospel that you're preaching. The gospel that you're preaching is contrary to the gospel that's been revealed to us through scriptures. And then in the same breath, Paul can look at the people at Philippi, the men at Philippi who were bad-mouthing him and say, listen, I don't, have, I, don't have, I don't have a problem with the gospel you're preaching because that's the true gospel. But because you have a problem against me, 
And because you don't like me doesn't give me a right to, to not like you or to not to pursue you in, with kindness. It's a good reminder for us um, as we move forward that just because someone doesn't agree with you theologically, that just because someone doesn't agree with you, um, your political views, just because someone doesn't agree with you in how you, your lifestyle, it doesn't give you a right to write them off as being anti-gospel. What Paul focused on was the most important matter. Are they preaching Christ? And if he's preaching Christ, even with false motives, the gospel is big enough to cover the errors of their false motives. But if you're preaching a false gospel with false motives, then he would definitely call that heretical, which he rightly should. In this instance. Lastly, in verses 21 through 26, we see not just that suffering people matter to Jesus, not just that your suffering matters to Jesus, but we see that Jesus' suffering should matter to us. I look with me in verse 21. You know this phrase because you've probably heard it before in VBS or some other saying um, on a TV show or something like that. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Notice that first clause, for me. Paul is making this a personal thing. He's realizing that God's grace has given him the ability to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, even though he did not deserve it. He says, for me. Not for you, not for them, but for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that whether Paul lived or died, he wanted Christ to be exalted in everything and every way. It's a good reminder for us because you know what? You can take that phrase and you can substitute the word Christ and um, and, and die, and you could come up with a lot of different world philosophies. For instance, if you say living is money, if you believe that living is money, then guess what dying is going to be to you? Dying is going to be being broke. If you say living is pleasure, then dying, of course, would then be pain or suffering. If living is power for you, then dying is weakness or submission. If living is strength, then dying then is weakness or lack of strength. And then if living is beauty for you, then dying is death or corrosion. You see, in short, in our short lives, we have to ask ourselves two simple questions. What will you live for and what will you die for? And we have to make certain we have to make certain of our eternal destiny that, that we'll be free to serve Christ Jesus freely, devoting our lives to what really counts without fear or death. And in this small words, in verse 21, Paul is saying, listen, if I live, I'm all about Jesus. You're going to hear about Jesus every single moment of my life. But if even if I die, death is just, I'm going to borrow the words of Trip Lee here, death is just a way. It's just a means to take you. It's a doorway to take you to your faithful lover. Death is no longer seen as the great big boogeyman, if you will. 
We don't fear death because we fear Jesus. And we have a greater fear of the one who has died and being resurrected and who's sitting at the right hand of God than the one who just can kill us one time because of our sins. Fear not the one that can kill you for your sins. Fear the one who, can, who, can, who has suffered for your sins, been resurrected, and then give you the freedom to walk away from sin and death through his power and through his presence. I love this. This is a good reminder for us um, as a church that if you're not ready to die, then you're not ready to live. Church, I hope that during this season, that the things that we're willing to die for will become more evident, that the things that we are willing to lay aside will become more, will become, uh, more evident in our lives so that we can live freely without fear of man, without the fear of one another, without the fear of others' opinions of us. Jesus says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And we want to live in that freedom each and every day. See, Jesus' suffering should matter to us. Should matter to us. Because in his suffering, we find our true freedom in him. You might be asking me even now, how might we find that true freedom? How does Paul really know what he's talking about? Look with me in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, he points it out of how he found this true freedom. He says, starting here in verse 7, he says, But everything that was gained to me I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but the one that is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness, righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul met Jesus and he was changed. See, everyone wants to live but everyone will die. But there's only one way to have a life worth living and a death worth dying. And that is to look to the one who conquered death. The one Paul describes, or excuse me, the one Paul desired to see above all things. And if you see him as he truly is, you too will say to be with Christ is so much better. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Pray that you would strengthen our hearts and your mind. God, thank you, God, for us to live is Christ and die is gain. I thank you that you have removed every barrier, every roadblock. You have removed the greatest enemy from our midst. I thank you, God, for that. Help us to walk in the freedom that you've provided. Help us to truly, God, be bold witnesses in this world for your name and for your glory. We do pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville. 
and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.